Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fuel Better podcast. As always, I am your host, Evan Lynch. In this episode, I am going to go through nutrition specifics for a marathon runner. So we're going to look at all the bits and pieces involved in getting you fueled up, hydrated, managing tummy issues, helping you nail your recovery, and all that fun stuff that goes along with training for that 42.2 kilometer trot. Okay, so let's get into the episode. But first, I do have a couple of pretty class announcements. So before we get into today's episode, I have a couple of pretty exciting announcements. Number one, if you follow me on social media, you'll see that I have just recently been able to register with Kuru. So I can now officially call myself a registered dietitian. The uh, The stall with that was due to the fact that I had studied abroad. So I'd been waiting to register for about two years. What does that mean for you? Well, if you were looking to work with me and you have health insurance now, it means you're absolutely covered by that and you can reimburse a good portion of the cost. So that's pretty great. In other news as well, anyone who is relatively local or at least willing to travel to Clonmel, you can actually come and physically see me in my clinic. Uh, I have an office down in Clonmel now on O'Connell Street, so you can come in and chat to me. And I've recently done something called Isaac Skinfold training. So I can now do skinfold calipers testing to assess body fat levels, body composition, things like that. So anyone interested in those types of services, please do get in touch. And also, I know it's only mid-November, but spaces are actually running out on my January online coaching intake. There's about eight left. So... If you were looking at jumping on the online coaching programs or you were looking at getting on top of your nutrition in 2022 or nailing your sports performance or improving your food relationship or just getting a good working understanding of what you need to do to fuel your body and you were looking at working with me, I probably wouldn't hang around. Those are going quicker than I thought they would. I'm expecting to be fully booked out by the end of the month. So just uh, get get in, you know, early bird catches the worm or whatever, or the cheese. I don't really know what birds eat. We didn't cover that uh, in my master's degree, but um, yeah, maybe that's a research paper for another day. Okay, anyways, let's get into the episode. And before I forget, actually, I do have one or two more small things to note. So next year, I'm actually going to have a student intern with me for a couple of months. So that's going to be really interesting. Um, and also, I am currently taking on a, another coach. So Gary is just currently getting his first one or two clients. Gary is going to be popping up on the podcast soon. And 
much like myself, Gary is also a registered dietitian and he has a master's degree in sports and exercise nutrition. So he's Irish, but based over in the UK. So you're going to see a little bit more of Gary increasingly in the coming weeks, months, and hopefully years, just uh, to let people know Gary's specialities and interests would lie more so in field sports and um, power sports. So anyone who's looking to get their dietary basis covered in that respect Gary will be more than equipped to help you do that in the coming weeks and into the new year so just keep an eye out for that watch this space as they say so as mentioned in this episode we are going to look at the nutritional considerations for a marathon runner and what I'm going to primarily base this off, uh, because we are looking at evidence-based nutrition strategies, not this works for me or this is what my coach said or whatever. So I'm going to be looking at one of the IWF commission papers there in 2019 by Louise Burke A.L., which is going to give us the, the real meat and bones of what a marathon runner really would need to worry about on the lead up to a race day and what you should be looking to get good at doing. Before we do that, just... Uh, you know a couple of facts about the marathon um 42.2 kilometers long finish times can vary obviously depending on the level of the athlete the training that's put in etc etc the world record now is unofficially just under two hours whereas the majority of the people who take part will finish up somewhere between two and a half and four hours so huge huge variance there it can take some people 100% longer to complete it uh, than others. <clears throat> if you're looking at recreational athletes, the kind of um, what the research has shown is they're tipping away at somewhere between 70 and 80% of VO2 max, which is relevant, and we'll get back to that a little bit later on. And between men and women, Average caloric outputs are somewhere between 25 and 2800 calories. Now it's worth noting that those values are for recreational runners. And when you have someone like Elliot Kipchoge, who is going much, much faster, he's doing an absolute higher overall intensity. So his caloric output and requirements are much, much higher, just to note. And as a general overarching theme, there's there's really three things that you want to look at when you're doing a marathon particularly on race day you want to make sure that you stay well hydrated so sweat rates can easily hit in excess of one liter an hour so you know your your first port cold there one of the first things i'll do with any athlete i'm working with competing in an event over an hour long is we'll do a sweat test you weigh yourself before and after training ideally in minimal clothing or running shorts or equivalent try not to eat or drink anything during the session try not to use the bathroom and obviously um towel off after your workout we're not trying to measure how much sweat is in your clothes so that's how you get your sweat volume in a very crude way and what i'll also often do is i'll get athletes to go up to peak sports in kilkenny with george sherwood to do a sweat composition test so we can then elucidate what is your sodium losses or what what can we anticipate them to be and the reason we do that point number one and point number two 
what you're looking at minimizing for a marathon runner is sweat losses to less than 2% of body weight or 2% dehydration. When you go over 2% dehydration, your performance drops by about 20%, particularly in hot conditions. And if you're starting to get dehydrated and you're only drinking water, you're at risk of exercise associated hyponatremia. So it's, it's very, very common. And for those who don't know what that is, it's effectively because you're sweating and perhaps you're not replacing electrolytes, only water, the sodium levels in your blood are kind of getting double diluted, okay? And when they drop, that can cause a whole host of problems from um, cardiac arrhythmias, it can affect neural signaling, it can cause cramps. Um, if your sodium gets low enough, it can put you into a coma and it can even kill you. It can put you into respiratory distress. So it's quite dangerous. And you might think, yeah, whatever, that's not really relevant for me. 30% of the female runners who compete in the marathon in the London Olympics had clinical hyponatremia when they finished. So it's it's very much something that can affect you, particularly if you're a non-elite athlete and you're coming in, you know, somewhere between three and four hours, you're sweating for a longer amount of time. So that actually becomes more likely the longer you are on your feet. So those are the first two things. Make sure your sodium levels stay balanced, whether that be using electrolyte tablets, a good old pinch of salt, pre-hydrating in advance using isotonic sports drinks, um, or using a salt tab. I don't really like using salt tablets. They're a little bit um, difficult to, to get down. They can give you mouth ulcers. If you use them properly, they can be okay, but Electrolyte tablets and isotonic drinks are always the best way to go. They're easier to take as well. So that's that's hydration, and you know it takes it takes a little bit of practice. And people are often surprised that uh, during during training leading up to a race, one of the key things that I'm going to say to them is: listen, you need to be really every ten to twelve minutes getting sizable mouthfuls of water. So. You know, if you ever watched an old man or an old guy drinking a pint of Guinness or something like that, or stout for maybe non-Irish listeners, they do it in about five mouthfuls. That's kind of how you want to approach this. Um, for most people, hitting somewhere between 500 and 600 mils of fluid an hour is a good way to go. In training, anyway, to get used to that volume. But if you if you then look at race day, how a course is often laid out, um you're probably looking at water availability every 5k so that for some people might be every every 17 and a half minutes it might be every 25 minutes it might be every half an hour so depending on what your pace is you know when you do get to a water station you might be looking at carrying that bottle for five minutes and taking one two three mouthfuls out of it because what you're what you're ultimately looking at is getting the minimum of 500 mils of fluid per hour but we tailor it to your sweat rate. So that, that's one of the nuances of um, marathon training. You try and train for what you have on race day with uh, with an Ironman triathlete or a cyclist, it's somewhat easier because you're always gonna have uh, the, the frame on your bike. You're always gonna have bottles in it. You can always get them from a from a team car or you know someone on your team who's sent to do bottle duties and you can stay constant. You can't bring four 
you know, 750 ml bottles with you on marathon day, or at least it's logistically challenging to do so. So we practice using gels, gummy bears, jellies, and we look at getting those bigger mouthfuls in to get fluid delivery a little bit more effective and efficient. Just, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a brief recap on hydration tactics on sodium requirements. Um, sodium losses on average, you're looking at somewhere around 500 milligrams an hour will be a low rate of sodium loss uh, per liter of sweat even. And what, what I see an awful lot is people are up around uh, 1000 milligrams per liter of sweat that they lose. So sweat testing is, is a good place to start. Not to harp on about it. The second thing we want to look at is carbohydrate provision. And yes, I said carbohydrate provision, not fat. So there's there's an awful lot of debate about this. And if we just circle back to the fact that recreational athletes compete marathons at 75% of their VO2 max approximately, and we then look at the fact that fat oxidation peaks at 65%, it wouldn't necessarily make sense to become fat adapted. I understand the meaning or the the desire to do this. Fat oxidation peaks at an intensity at which you will never actually compete in on race day. Okay, just to note. And even with training, what they've seen is in elite athletes who compete the marathon in excess of eighty percent of review to max. Just as an aside, but. You can get your maximum fat oxidation up to 70% of your VO2 max or your heart rate uh, with training, though it's not necessarily beneficial to do that because what some of the research has shown is that, yes, fat-fueled approaches, you can get a little bit more metabolically efficient, you can do some glycogen sparing, but when you actually do time trial performances, you're slower. Fat oxidation is less efficient and effective at fueling you, so it costs more to burn burn that energy. So we don't really ever want to go there. If you're an absolute beginner, you can do a little bit of fasted training to spike those metabolic pathways, but you don't need to go, you know, full ketogenic or full low carb diets. It's not necessarily a good idea. And what the tendency can be sometimes is to go low carb in training and, you know, maybe get very good at using fat so that when you use carbohydrates on a race day, you'll be fine. Again, I understand the thought behind this, but nope, not a good thing to do. The research has shown that even a few days of a high fat diet can cause insulin resistance. So if you if you take this approach, what you'll find is on race day, you'll drink your Lucasade Sports or your Martin 320s and whatever it might be, and you'll find that it's actually just giving you high, high blood sugar. It's not actually getting into your cells, so it's not having the desired effect, which is really interesting. Anyways, back back to it. So if we look at the general build-up to a marathon, you would be classed as an endurance athlete. My recommendations would be that your carbohydrate intake would be a minimum of 5 grams per kg per day. That can be hard to do sometimes, particularly if you don't know what carbohydrates are or what they look like. So just, I suppose, off the top of my head, the handiest ways to get high-carb intakes in would be things like bags of microwave rice, spuds, baked, um, boiled, steamed, whatever way you like. Nan breads, pita breads, they're really good sources of carbohydrates. Cocoa pops, rice krispies, porridge, muesli, you get the gist. Fruit and dairy products will have a little bit of intrinsic sugars in them. They're not going to be high carb sources though by any, um, any descriptions. So that's carbohydrates, really, really important. 
and what I'm trying to get around to showing my clients uh, is that you want your carbohydrates to be partitioned in and around exercise. So the reason you would do this and the reason it's important for say someone like a marathon runner to get used to this is that if you carb up in advance your blood sugar will be normalized so the the more stable your blood sugar the, the less likely you are to hit the wall and if you can get carbohydrates in before during before and during training i should say it can help slow down the rate of glycogen depletion so as your glycogen or your body's carbohydrate stores drop your rate of perceived exertion or how hard exercise feels you start to perceive the exercise as being a little bit more difficult which is very interesting also as that glycogen drops there's something called a functional threshold and you can train this to a certain degree but when when that glycogen kind of falls to that that uh, minimum minimum threshold mark that's when you experience symptoms of hitting the wall or you start using um, more fat as fuel and you start making lactate and you start slowing down so you don't ever really want that to happen so the the idea of partitioning carbohydrates in and around when you need them just makes sense it's called fueling for the work required okay so that's that's important if you ever wanted to break your day down if you're training in the morning in the morning and early afternoon is where most of your carbohydrates should be if you're training in the evening the opposite is the case so that's that's pretty important and even from a recovery point of view presuming you're going to be training more than three times a week four times a week and you have other responsibilities you want your recovery to be optimal and effective one of the big things for recovery is glycogen repletion so when we talk about recovery what do we mean we mean how quickly can your glycogen tank fill up how quickly can you rebuild damaged tissue or repair exercise induced muscle damage how long and how severe is that exercise induced inflammatory response how long does it take your nervous system to kick back into into action you know getting your carbs in asap post-workout is a great way to facilitate that as would be you know having a decent protein intake it's kind of outside the scope of today's talk but Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sleep would be important as well. So that's that's just general day-to-day stuff what you might be looking at and i'm going to more so focus on race day again or leading up to your race what you're looking at if you are a marathon runner is that we want you to have a carb loading phase in advance of your big day so what's recommended is 10 to 12 grams of carbohydrates per kg for the one and a half to two days before your event and what's particularly important here is that you're looking at low residue okay so that that basically means low fiber 
and why why might you want to do that well in my experience and i suppose personal and professional gastric issues are very very common in um in endurance runners so in the marathon world and in endurance athletes in particular they're the most likely cohort to experience gastrointestinal issues in exercise particularly for running so running itself because they uh, the, the research suspects that it's something to do with abdominal jarring and the fact that there's a little bit of torsion and pressure through your midsection um, in a way there wouldn't be if you were cycling or playing darts that can just exacerbate GI distress which is interesting and one of the things that happens in uh, in exercise even at 70% of your VO2 max you lose a humongous amount of the blood supply to your guts so if you have any food in your intestines if you have any partially absorbed or partially digested food boluses you're just going to malabsorb them and that's that's where a lot of the stomach issues come from and the most common stomach issue would be abdominal pain or fecal incontinence or urgency so if you've got a real high fiber diet one of the ways that fiber works and it just a general day-to-day basis to keep you healthy is it gives your stool bulk you do not want that when you're marathon running okay (laughs) definitely not the bulkier your stools and the higher your recent fiber intake the more likely you are to need to go to the bathroom during your race which has inherent drawbacks particularly if you're trying to be a high level athlete or you're trying to get a pb you don't want to be losing two minutes going pp god that was i might i might edit that out um or not i might leave it in let me know if you found that funny (laughs) jesus anyways back on track this is why i need a co-host someone who can tell me if my uh, my humor is terrible before i put it out there into the public anyways that's carbohydrate intake in the lead up to a race so my, my advice for people is sports drinks spuds rice krispies cocoa pops um all the bread all the jam all the fruit that's a handy way to get it in and on the morning of a race what you're looking at is somewhere between two to four hours before your race depending on how your stomach tends to be you're looking at a huge breakfast big carbohydrate rich breakfast low fat low fiber and a bit of a protein hit if you can tolerate it two to three hours beforehand to prevent yourself getting hungry and i guess you know from a risk factor point of view I tend to recommend a big bowl of Rice Krispies and maybe a strong coffee and a banana. And what I've had some clients say is they try that, but it just doesn't sit well with them or they feel hungry or they feel a bit off with it. And paradoxically, they find a bowl of porridge works better for them. And for all the research and for all the mechanistic data and the logistical leaps that we could make, it's whatever works for you. As long as it's high carb, low fiber, a couple of hours beforehand, that's okay you're look you're looking at getting a serious enough dose of carbs there so around two to three grams of gra- two to three grams of carbohydrates per kg of body weight in that meal so for me that could be easily 200 grams right there that would be a big bowl of porridge destroyed in maple syrup probably with a bagel and a banana and leading up to the race then i might go for something like Again, a coffee, a strong filter coffee, and I'll explain that in a second, and a banana, just again to put my blood sugar in a little bit of a better position. So to take an aside here for a second, when I'm looking at 
marathon performance. One ergogenic aid we can definitely use, well there are two, but one we can definitely use for most people is caffeine. And why is caffeine useful? Well, number one, it can actually uh, decrease your perception of fatigue. So that's primarily how it has its uh, its effect. And num- number two, it can improve marginally your fat oxidation. So it might have a bit of a glycogen sparing capacity. But we'll go, we'll go back to the fatigue, the anti-fatigue effect. It's perceptual in nature. So it's not really physically doing anything. It's a psychological phenomenon. But... If you want to take advantage of this, you need relatively high amounts of caffeine. So three milligrams per kg of body weight is like what you're what you're looking to uh, get in here. For me, as an 80 kilo man, if I'm making a cup of coffee in the morning, making it with a French press or an AeroPress or filter coffee, I'm looking at about two cups to achieve that dose. And it's important to note that that might upset a lot of people's stomachs. So you can use the fact that it takes coffee or caffeine about 45 minutes to peak in your bloodstream and it's effective for about five to six hours so you don't have to have it right before you go you can have it two hours beforehand and if you're a four or a marathon runner it's going to help you all the way through okay so that's uh that's caffeine the other ergogenic aid which i kind of mentioned there would be um the beetroot juice and with with beetroot juice the research has shown that it can be useful for for those who are maybe non-elite athletes. It can help oxygen transport. Standard servings or a beaded shot or just a 200 ml glass of beetroot juice hasn't been shown to have performance enhancing benefits for elite athletes or those with a VO2 max above 55. And that's how they cut it off in the research. And I guess what's the difference here? Well, the more trained you are, the more ingrained the physiological response to exercise becomes you get better at vasodilation you get better at redirecting blood flow and you're, you're more able to transport oxygen the more trained you are the more adapted you are to the requirements of training what beetroot juice does uh, to lay populations or non-athletes i guess is it causes vasodilation or your arteries to expand so more blood can get through uh, an area per heartbeat ergo more oxygen more nutrients that's that's why it's beneficial to use this so if you think you might benefit from beetroot juice belt away two hours beforehand and you will uh, you will see some benefits that's not one to try out first on race day as it's not great doesn't taste class and it can make your stomach a little bit upset the smell of it makes me feel personally ill so it's not something i would look to use so if we look then you know I have athletes competing in a wide, wide array of climates, cold, mostly hot. Sometimes if you're elite and you're, you're racing abroad, hydration can be a little bit sticky if it's going to be cold or hot for two different reasons. And I'll mention them briefly here. If it's really cold, your sense of thirst actually drops, but you also get an increase in diuresis. So cold induced diuresis, you, you urinate more when it's cold. Um, don't ask me the mechanism behind it I just know what happens so dehydration is actually more likely if it's really cold or if it's really hot so having a goal to work towards a baseline of 35 mils per kg per day plus uh, hydration tactics based on your sweat rate that's a great way to go so I, I can't I can't give you the specifics for you you'd have to actually do those investigations with your sweat test 
um, to, to see what that would be. But yeah, that's, that's the general baseline. If it's hot, so if you're planning on racing, let's say Berlin Marathon, or you're, even if you're going to do a half Ironman in Mallorca or Lanzarote or whatever, similar finishing times, what you can do is before your race, and I'm going to focus on hot climates here, before your race, you can, over the 30 to 60 minutes pre-takeoff, you can make kind of your own slushy, I guess. So 50% ice, 50% water, throw a little bit of maybe an electrolyte tablet or a pinch of salt in there and some carbohydrate powder. And that will actually cool, cool down your core temperature and it'll take you longer to get hot. So it'll take you longer to start sweating more. So you'll actually find that um, it takes you longer to get tired. So the research is pretty explicit that as your core temperature increases, you use more glycogen per, per minute or to say at the same heart rate, the exercise feels harder. Psychologically, you get an increase in central drive or a decrease even, meaning that your body kind of puts the brakes on itself to protect you, which is very interesting. So those, those slushies can help an awful lot in that respect. There is another thing you can do. It's called glycerol monosterate hyperhydration. You wouldn't really need to be doing that for a marathon unless you have a humongous sweat rate and you're looking literally at world or Olympic medals for, for most people. That's dramatic overkill, maybe for an Ironman athlete who's somewhat competitive. The other thing you can do, and this is useful, if you, know, if you need to just be able to grin and bear the last few K of a, of a race in the heat, have some menthol flavored gum okay or a mint in your in your back pocket or in a zippy compartment of your shorts if you're starting to feel really really hot pop it in your mouth menthol has this um effect where it uh, it has a cooling sensation i guess on the nerves around your mouth and perceptually your sense of thermal discomfort drops and that in itself can actually increase your pace that you know self-selected pace it can make the exercise feel a little bit easier. So that's that's a pro tip. Um, it makes you be able to push yourself a little bit harder than you might otherwise. Okay, so during the race then, there's some there are some kind of um, targets you might aim for in terms of carbohydrates. And this is probably going to be the last thing we're going to talk about here because I realize I've been talking for a while. So if you are at the likes of Elliot Kipchoge, you might go for 90 grams of carbs an hour because you're working at a very, very high, uh, let's say, wattage, okay? That's that's just objectively true. 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour via gels is quite difficult. That would be a gel every 25 minutes or so on average, and you might be looking at um, the likes of the, the Martin 320s, the really high-dosed gels, or the Martin 160s, for the most part, um, if you are a little bit less elite and you know you're you're still working at a relative intensity, you will get away with somewhere between sixty and seventy five grams of carbohydrates per hour. So that's a gel every thirty minutes or so. So it's a little bit easier to tolerate. And what I would often recommend is people go for the dual carb source gels. They're a little bit easier to digest, um, and they're just a more effective way to get your carb intake up. So the ones I tend to recommend would be High Five Energy, SIS, and um, your Martin gels, of course, which are becoming more popular on race courses. So, you know, get used to what's available uh, would be my advice there. For those with IBS, 
or fructose problems you know if you get stomach issues with most sports products sticking to a maltodextrin only gel like your sis go would be a good idea and practicing maltodextrin based sports drinks would also be a good idea and you know if you're not if you're not yet convinced that having a higher carb intake is good and i suppose while i'm giving goals here ideally the highest carb intake you can actually physically uh, tolerate is the one you really want to be going for and the reason that is what they've shown in a recent research paper is they've gotten um ultra marathon runners so you know they're they're getting to the end of a marathon and they're they're probably going again or they're going a little bit further to take 120 grams of carbohydrates per hour which is insane and they stomached it fine it just takes a little bit of practice but they compared it to lower carb intakes or even 90 grams of carbs an hour and the fascinating outcome was the rate of perceived exertion at the higher carb intake was much 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 lower and the exercise induced muscle damage was much 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 lower so if you were you know doing a couple of key sessions and you you planning on taking 90 grams of carbohydrates per hour in your race you might practice with 120 so you'll, you'll perform really really well you'll know that on race day you're stepping down your carb intake so gi issues are less likely you're going to recover better and your key sessions are going to feel much much better so you'll actually be quite confident so that's that's just uh, an aside again but real fascinating stuff so that's that's marathon um considerations i guess if you're looking at getting started on a process like this and you're not really sure what to do the first part to call would be maybe get a blood test maybe do a dietary assessment maybe talk to a coach maybe talk to a physio just to see where your weak spots are where most athletes go off track is they underfuel, then they get sick or they get injured or they get iron deficiency anemia or they get stress fractures all of which are pretty much avoidable or they overtrain or they come to race day and they've no fueling or hydration tactics in place so they just get sick or bonk or just suffer unmercifully all of these things are avoidable so if you're looking at doing a marathon in 2021 no it is 2021 if you if you're looking at doing a marathon in 2022 even you might get in touch uh share the episode you know take some notes listen to it again feel free to dm me on instagram and don't forget there are spots opening in my online coaching program in january there's still a few left or you can always pop into the clinic and we can just set you right in one or two sessions keep an eye out as well for webinars and articles i'm going to be writing an article on this topic as well it's going to go up on the blog in the coming days so yeah guys that's all from me i hope you found this helpful give it a like give it a share maybe leave a review and uh, yeah happy trails And just to finish up, while we're on the subject of marathons here, for the month of November, I'm actually working with Sean O'Hara. Uh, he's done 30 marathons in 30 days for November, all around Dublin. You might have seen him um, doing really, really well, managing those carbs. We had him weigh himself a couple of times before and after his marathons. He stayed the same weight, which is a great achievement, recovering like an absolute champ. But... I'm encouraging you to go to the link in my bio or follow Sean O'Hara on Instagram. You might have heard him on the radio. 
and I have a donation link there. Sean has raised approximately 12, 13,000 euros already. His target is 25K. So if you're listening to this and you're a marathon runner, you understand the difficulty or the achievement involved in competing one. Sean is doing 30 of them day after day after day for uh, November. So great cause. So please do support that if you have a spare fiver or tenor. It's a really, really good cause. Sean's putting in a monumental effort for that. So yeah, just a quick plug at the end there for for Sean. Anyways, guys, um, I'm going to try and make these episodes a little bit more regular. And I might actually have my co-host with me next time. So yeah, keep, uh, keep your eyes out for that.